Welcome to episode number 140 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast where we're building a global community around process safety, industries handling combustible dust. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney, and today's episode will just be me, and we're talking about metal dust explosions. In particular, we're going to talk about loss history, severity, and practical considerations for these type of explosions. So what has happened to date? Why is it a challenge and a large problem? What causes the large severity for some metal dust when compared to some other materials? Now, what does this mean practically? What kind of things might someone need to look at if they're coming up with a safety strategy for combustible metal dust? So this material is actually from a presentation that I recently gave at Brand Farlig Vara, which I think is Swedish for flammable goods. And it's a conference that they host there every year in Sweden. Um, and they asked me to come give a presentation on metal dust there. So I was the only uh, English speaker. It was very nice of them not to make me give the, the presentation in Swedish. As you can tell, my my Swedish is not very my Swedish is not very good, but I do appreciate them letting me tune in. They had a number of metal dust explosions over the last few years, and the groups that are working there had really been starting to look more heavily into protection options and to understanding the cause of the challenges with metal dust. Um, and I was brought on to give this presentation that was entitled "Metal Dust Explosions from an International Perspective: Research, Loss History, and Practical Considerations." So this wasn't an NFPA forty four. You know, here's the guidance on metal dust. This was sort of winding back. Why are they so severe from a combustion science standpoint? And what are some of the, the practical considerations that might be dealing with that would then go into things like the NPA 44 recommendations? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. It's sort of the contents of this presentation. Um, how big is the challenge with combustible metal dust? Why do we care? Uh, why are they so severe in terms of dust explosion properties? We'll talk about that in this episode. Um, in particular, we will talk about the flame temperature, explosion severity parameters, and impact and radiation. Then we'll talk about some practical considerations. So we'll look at minimum ignition energy, dust collection, explosion isolation, response to fires, and the use of inerting systems. Uh, we're going to cover that all in this episode. Again, this isn't a review of NFPA 44 and the recommendations there. This is sort of like the combustion science research version um, that you need for background information if you want to understand why those regulations and guidance were put in place. So I want to start with talking about how big is the problem. And there was a couple of interesting things that have come to this presentation. So I had mentioned that there had been some large mineral dust explosions in Sweden in the last number of years uh, at facilities like metallic pigment plants um, and other type of facilities that are handling metal dust there. And this was brought on then for a, by a study that was or summarized in a study that was done by uh, Ken Nesby, who we've had on the podcast before, and uh, his partner in this research, uh, Evaldson. And they did summarize this into a paper called Metal Dust Explosions in Sweden. And this was given at the 12th International Symposium on Hazards Prevention and Mitigation of Industrial Explosions that happened in Kansas City in 2018, hosted by the uh, the fight group down there. So Ken gave this presentation, um, and we had met at that event, actually, started talking about what's going on in Sweden in terms of research in combustible dust, the work that they had done, and then also how that ties into the, the things that we're seeing for combustible metal dust uh, globally as well. So in this paper, uh, which we actually reviewed previously on the podcast in episode 88 with Ken, they found 237 fires and explosions involving combustible dust in Sweden from the start of 2012 to 2017. They don't give specific numbers, but it looks like about a quarter of these were explosions. So approximately 10 combustible dust explosions a year in that period they were seeing in Sweden. Over that entire data set, so all 237, 44 of those were metal dust related. So they had 12 metal dust explosions and 32 metal dust fires. That comes out to be about two explosions with metal dust a year and around six fires with metal dust. 
in that paper, they give a bunch of information on the type of equipment involved, type of materials. Just in summary, they mentioned dust extraction equipment and filters quite a bit, milling, grinding, turning, and blasting as being some of the operations. Um, and then they mentioned steel, titanium, and magnesium. It's interesting, they didn't actually highlight aluminum as a main contributor to the materials that we'd see in the, the data from the United States. We're going to cover in a second. Aluminum being uh, listed as the, the most severe combustible metal dust. So I'm kind of giving you an idea of the number of dust explosions going on in Sweden. Again, so that's approximately 10 a year, and about 20% of these are involving combustible metal dust. When we compare that to data in the United States, uh, if we go back and look at the U.S. Chemical Safety Board's report from 1980 to 2005, so over a 25-year period, they had 281 dust explosions recorded. 60 of these were metal dust explosions, uh, resulting in 27 fatalities and 96 injuries. So again, both the same percentage, about 20% of the dust explosions that were occurring, or one in five were metal dust. In this case, for the Chemical Safety Board data, aluminum and magnesium made up 60% of the explosions, but 86% of the fatalities and 82% of the injuries for metal dust. So you see in the United States, most of the explosions are involving aluminum and magnesium. And these explosions tend to be the ones that are causing fatalities and injuries as well for incidents that are involving metal dust. So this gives you an idea, you know, how many are happening. For the U.S., we're seeing same sort of thing, two to three a year of metal dust explosions, the same as in Sweden. Uh, we're seeing that they're disproportionately higher in terms of their severity when compared to other combustible dust. So then that begs the question, well, why are metal dust so severe? And in particular, these dusts like aluminum and magnesium, this really comes down to three things. Um, two of these are pretty well known and, and one sort of an open thing that's um, being studied in the research literature now. So reason number one is the heat of combustion, the flame temperature. Reason number two, which is related, is maximum pressure and rate of pressure rise. Then reason number three is sort of other factors. And the leading one here appears to be radiation. So starting with heat of combustion and flame temperature, this is really the crux of the issue with metal dust. They have a much higher heat of combustion when reacted with oxygen or some any other oxidant compared with other fuels that generally create combustible dust. So we look at coal, it has about 480 kilojoules per mole of oxygen. That's how much energy is released when you react um, general coals with, with oxygen. This results in a flame or a temperature that's about 2100 Kelvin. So this is 1,800 Celsius or 3,300 Fahrenheit. It gives you an idea of how hot a flame is of combustible coal dust. We look at iron, it's not that much different. So this is a metal, um, has a relatively low heat of combustion, 530 kilojoules per mole of oxygen. It results in similar flame temperature, about 2,200 Kelvin. However, we look at magnesium and aluminum, these have over double the heat of combustion. So for magnesium, you're looking at about 1,250 kilojoules per mole of oxygen. In aluminum, you're looking at 1,100 kilojoules per mole. This results in 3,300 Kelvin flame temperature for magnesium and 3,800 Kelvin for aluminum. So 60 to 80% higher flame temperatures for magnesium and aluminum when compared to other metals like iron that react um, a lot less violently and these sort of standard carbon-based or organic dust that you might be looking at as well. This is really the crux of the problem. That this very high flame temperature causes some issues with the reactivity and also causes some other issues. So much hotter flame temperature, 60, 80% higher. This then relates to the maximum pressure and rate of pressurize. So this is the second reason that metal dust explosions are so much more severe. When you're looking at, say, just a carbon dust reacting, you may get five to nine bar of pressure out of that reaction in a closed vessel. 
Um, that might happen around a rate of 50 to 350 bar meter per second. So this is scaled the rate of pressurized bar per second being how fast the pressure increases in that vessel. And then it's scaled by the cube root of the vessel volume, which is a common thing that's done between different vessels in order to get this sort of uh, vessel independent comparison. So that's for your sort of typical organic dust. For magnesium and aluminum, you might be looking at pressures at as high as 17 bar or more and rates of pressurized that are 500 to 800 bar meter per second or even more. You can see uh, with very fine aluminum, rates of pressurized that are up to and exceeding 1,000 bar meter per second. So reacting two to three times faster with much larger output pressures than, than organic does. That's really driven, again, by the heat of release and the flame temperature as well. And as, through the ideal gas law, this will feed into how high the maximum pressure is and also how fast that reaction occurs. So when comparing one dust to another, these are really the two things that drive the severity of metal dust explosions. The heat of combustion, the flame temperature, and how that feeds into your maximum pressure and your maximum rate of pressure rise. But there are a couple other factors that kind of come into play here. I'll name a few of them. So turbulence, the existence of oxide layers for metal dust, um, reactivity with other types of metal dust, water reactivity, metal-metal reactivity. These sort of all come into other safety considerations. But the big one that has an impact in terms of explosion severity is radiation. The role of radiation in a in a deflagration in a dust cloud, kind of picture it like you have the flame. So picture a big dust cloud, picture an ignition source in the very center, so a lighter or something that's igniting that dust cloud. And that flame is going to move out from that center location. Radiation impacts the material that's outside that flame. So radiation travels faster than the flame. So when the flame's at point A, it can actually radiate heat out away from that center location. And this can preheat the dust that's ahead of the flame. If that preheating is very high, then when the flame actually gets that dust, it's already hot. It may already be starting to react. And you have this sort of acceleration effect. And as that flame gets stronger and faster, there's more radiation, which provides more preheating to the dust ahead of the flame, which provides more fast reacting flame when it gets there. It sort of keeps ramping up as it burns throughout the entire dust cloud. This feedback loop then means that if you have a dust cloud that's a meter in diameter versus one that's 30 meters in diameter, the 30 meter diameter is going to have more of this ramping up, more of this feedback, more of this radiation. Um, the explosion is going to get worse as the size of the, dust, size of the dust cloud happens to increase. So why does this matter for combustible metal dust? It's because radiation, the, the power of radiation, is proportional to the temperature of the material to the fourth root. So the temperature of the flame to the fourth root, I should say. So the hotter the flame, it's to a power of four, this radiative effect. So we said that the metal dust flames are 60 to 80% higher temperature than organic dust flames. So they have much more powerful radiation effects because that's put to the power of four when radiation occurs from the dust particles that are burning and from the flame front through to the unburned particles that are outside the flame um, causing that preheating effect. The end result is you end up with what I've been calling a scale-dependent explosion parameters. So if you have a 20-liter vessel versus a 1-cubic-meter vessel versus a 10-cubic-meter vessel, you'll actually measure different explosion parameters in terms of the rates of pressurize. The bigger that cloud gets, the more feedback from radiation happens and the more severe explosion you have. So this is still an open challenge, and you'll see some things with metal dust in terms of practical application that are being done to try to address this. Some factors that are being added, 
but really it's still an open area for the, the science and the research to be able to measure, well, what size vessel is going to cause, you know, radiative preconditioning in such a way. So it's a factor of two, if it's a two cubic meter vessel, it's a factor of 10, if it's a two cubic meter vessel, um, that's still not really well known. So what we end up doing is testing and providing these safety factors on top of to account for the unknowns that are available with this radiation effect. So those are really the three criteria then why metal dusts are so severe. So heat of combustion and flame temperature are one, maximum pressure and rate of pressurize are two, and the effect of radiation is this third reason why you see large, severe dust explosions, especially in very large processing pieces of equipment or large processing operations that have combustible fugitive metal dust around. So how does this play out in terms of practical considerations? So again, we're not going to go through sort of the NFPA guidelines or other international recommended guidelines for combustible metals. That is a future podcast episode, I'm sure. But I want to talk about kind of some of the general effects to give you an idea of what things you need to be looking out for. So talk about five challenges. The first is minimum ignition energy. The second is the difference in particle sizes by processing operation. The third is dust collection and explosion isolation. Fourth is safe response to dust fires. And the fifth is safe use of inerting systems. So we focus first on this, this number one challenge or the first challenge of minimum ignition energy. Um, I showed in the presentation some work that was done by uh, Dr. Masa Nifuku in Japan and his co-workers in a paper they published called Ignitability Characteristics of Aluminum and Magnesium Dust that are Generated During Shredding of Post-Consumer Waste. And that was published in the Journal of Loss Prevention and Processing Industries in 2007. And he had for both magnesium and aluminum dust, ignition energy for different particle sizes that they had measured. And you can kind of see it decreasing with particle size. So as the particle size decreases, less energy is needed to ignite that dust. When magnesium gets below about 75 micron and aluminum gets below 40 micron, the ignition energy drops below you know, 50 millijoules. And this is where you really start to get concerns with spark and electrostatic being viable ignition sources for these dust clouds. Um, these aren't hard and fast numbers, and you really would need to look at your specific processing operation because it's going to change whether or not the aluminum is flaked aluminum or spherical particles or if it's a thick oxide layer or a thin oxide layer, these are parameters that are not material specific. You'd need to get testing to figure them out. The point part is as the particle size gets smaller, it gets more and more likely that it can be ignited by electrostatic ignition. And even if you did analyze your particle size, Niki might the fines really do a lot of the work. So in terms of ignition criteria, if you disperse a big dust cloud in the air, even if only 5% or 10% of that dust cloud is um, say five micron or really, really small, that small percentage is going to be the stuff that actually is able to ignite from a, uh, say, electrostatic spark. And when that ignites, it can ignite the particles that are slightly larger beside it and slightly larger beside it and be enough to cause the, the ignition kernel to grow enough to self-propagate and cause an explosion. So just looking kind of roughly at your material and saying, okay, well, it's mostly large dust uh, isn't enough. You really need to measure these parameters and keep a very cautious eye on how much fines are in there because those are the ones that are going to be leading the ignition criteria for the cloud themselves. Challenge number two is different particle sizes for different processing operations. And in the presentation, I talked about some work by uh, Dr. Enrico Danzi and Dr. Luca Marmo from Italy, and they had a paper called Dust Explosion Risk in Metal Workings. Again, this was published in the Journal of Loss Prevention, the Processing Industries in 2019. What they did is they went through Italy in a bunch of uh, metal processing facilities and took dust samples from different unit operations. So grinding, sanding, 
shot blasting, welding, brushing, and processing, took these and used SEM microscopes to measure how how large the dust particle size is and also measure the rate of pressurize or the KST values for these dusts. And you can see that there's not really a good, I mean, some of the processing dusts from like fugitive dusts are a lot um, finer material than, you know, say the dust that come from welding, although not always. Um, similarly with other processing operations, there really wasn't any way to say that, okay, grinding has smaller dust sizes than welding. The rates of pressurize were really all over the place. So this really makes it a challenge then to say, you know, blanket statements on what size particles are going to be generated from your processing operation. As we just talked about, this really feeds into your minimum ignition energy and also the severity of the explosion as well. So this becomes a big challenge. This means that sampling is a little bit tougher at these facilities as well to see, okay, well, what processing unit operation should we take our dust samples from to come up with our safety strategy? Challenge number three is dust collection and explosion isolation. Really, the, the point around this was that it can be quite challenging to come up with mitigation strategies for metal dust because the explosions can be so severe, especially if you have a large, say, dust collection system. Um, it's probably better to have multiple small dust collection systems than one large box containing metal dust because of things like radiation. But even more so, it becomes difficult to protect these systems from combustible dust. And in the presentation, I brought up this um, incident from 2014 in Kunsheng, China, where they had a, a very large polishing operation, well, large in terms of, of how many people were involved in the operation. And this was for wheel hubs. So um, not hub caps, but the actual hubs that go on wheels. There were hand polishing stations for these, these um, aluminum wheel, wheel hubs. Each line then, there were eight different lines and each line had a polishing station on either side of the line, and at least 12 or a dozen or more sort of individual stations on each side of the line. So picture there's there's eight ducts going through the middle of the room. On each side of each duct, there is, or each side of each conveying line, there's 12 or more stations where individuals are actually sitting or standing, polishing these wheel hubs as they come off the line to uh, you know give them a, a shine and polishing. Each of these conveying lines then is connected to a dust collector. Um, there's four dust collectors at the end of the eight lines. So each line, every two lines share a dust collector. And I can't do the quick math in my head, but that means that there's you know a few hundred people that are polishing wheels, aluminum hubs in this uh, facility at one time on this one level. Unfortunately, they had an explosion in one of their dust collectors that propagated back through the working stations propagate from one dust collector to the next one, to the next one, to the next one, and basically went through the entire facility. Um, so explosion isolation is a really important thing to consider here. Proper dust collection, proper protection of dust collectors all contributed to what was a real catastrophic loss. Lee and his coworkers analyzed this in a paper released in 2016 called a catastrophic aluminum alloy dust explosion in China, uh, where they reported that unfortunately 145 workers were fatally injured and an additional 114 workers non-fatally injured in in this explosion. They had some pictures afterwards and you just see the molten mass of wheel hubs and piles on the ground from melted aluminum wheel hubs showing how hot the resulting fire was after the explosion here. So that's sort of worst case scenario where you have a large scale explosion that's unprotected, but then also not isolated throughout your processing line and you have fugitive dust around, you have metal dust, um, cause a real inferno that can cause massive loss of life and, and a large tragedy. On the flip side of that, 
sort of on a smaller scale, a safe response to dust fires. So this could be a case where you just have one fire in an aluminum bin. Um, how does a worker tackle that safely? What kind of extinguishing system do they need to tackle that? How do they go about using that extinguishing system? Are they trained on it? Are all come to consideration when you talk about safe response to dust fires. And this gets amplified for metal dust, which can be reactive with water, which can be reactive with other um, firefighting agents. It can be reactive with other metals as well. And this all becomes a big challenge. So this could be an employee going to put out a fire. It can also be inappropriate sprinkling systems in, in buildings as well. We covered an incident a few years ago at the Meridian Magnesium Products facility in Eden Rapids, Michigan, where they had a large fire in their magnesium recycling chute. And the sprinklers ended up kicking on, causing large explosions to happen inside the facility because magnesium, when burning, is, is highly reactive with water. So those are four of the practical considerations. Uh, minimum ignition energy, different particle sizes by different processing operations, dust collection, explosion, isolation, and safe response to dust fires. The last one I'll mention your safe use of inerting systems. This is a big challenge in terms of when they're implemented. It can cause this false sense of security. Because metal dust can have such high ignition sensitivity, can have such high severity parameters, often the solution to that is to inert the system, to put it into a closed loop and apply um, different inerting solutions to that. Back in episode 71 of the podcast, I covered a case study on metal dust explosion, a 3D printing application in 2013. From here, my big point was that when you're using an inerting system, it needs to be treated as a safety device, not as removing the combustible dust hazard. Really, you need to be even more cautious. If you have to use an enduring system, you're doing that because it's highly ignition sensitive or the explosion is too severe that you can't protect from it. In both of those cases, you really want the workers to be really cautious, especially about ignition sources. You're saying that anytime that inerting goes down, if there are ignition sources in the vicinity, they're likely to ignite that material. So anytime you're opening up the equipment, anytime that a sensor maybe fails or a inerting system fails, you need to think about what ignition sources are around because that's when you're going to have an upset condition that causes a large loss. You also need to understand and identify the other potential risks to employees, things like asphyxiation hazards. Um, first responders and firefighters need to know about what systems are in place. You need redundant sensors. You need a whole pile of things from the NFPA standards and guidelines, the international standards and guidelines when using inerting systems. So they are great when used and designed correctly, but you're, you're not removing the hazard. You just have a safety system that's protecting you from the hazard. There's an engineering guard protecting you from that spinning blade that's going to cause an issue um, if you run into it. So you need to treat it that way and really think about, okay, what ignition sources are present when that inertia system goes down. So that's it for this short presentation on this very complex topic of metal dust explosions, looking at loss history, severity, and practical considerations. We talked about how big is the problem, what's the loss history in Sweden, what's the loss history in the U.S. over the last number of years. Talk about what causes metal dust explosion to be so severe. Heat of combustion and flame temperature is really the crux of the, the problem or the challenge. Because the heat of combustion is so high, the flame temperature is really high, which means the pressure that's created by these materials is very high, and they react really fast, so the rate of pressure is really high. In addition to that, radiation then plays a much more important role because it's proportional to temperature to the power of four, and we don't fully understand how to deal with the impact of radiation and its effect on the scale of the explosion. So as the dust cloud gets bigger from one cubic meter to 10 to 100, that means that radiation is going to have more and more of effect and you're going to have this feedback loop where the rate of pressurize is increasing and increasing. That needs to be accounted for in the design of your system. 
Then we closed out the episode looking at practical considerations, looking at things like minimum ignition energy, particle size, dust collection and explosion isolation, safe response to dust fires, and safe use of inerting systems. So if this was interesting, as I mentioned, this was on the back of a presentation that I gave in Brandfarlegvara, which I believe is flammable goods in Sweden. Thank goodness they let me talk in English, otherwise uh, it might not have been such a good presentation. I haven't done this presentation anywhere else yet, but if you'd be interested in seeing it, send me an email at chris at dustsafetyscience.com. I have all the slides and all the references and a bunch of nice pictures here. Uh, we can probably organize that to go ahead in the Dust Safety Academy as well. We do have a full schedule piling up for the end of the year, but um, if you're interested, you can shoot me an email and we'll try to get that put in there as well. So that's it for the podcast this week. I want to say thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Again, stay safe out there this week. I appreciate everything you're doing in the industry's handling combustible dust, making them safer every day with the work that you do. 